Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a weekly podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Hello! And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Powered by Pilchards. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. Announcement! Announcement! Do you enjoy this podcast? Is it? Is this your first time listening to it? Is it too early to tell? Well, whatever the case, we want to tell you about our Patreon page, which is set up to help you, the listeners, get more involved with the podcast and enable us to create more content for you to enjoy. If you head over to www.patreon.com forward slash our three cents, you can find a whole bunch of amazing perks that we are offering in exchange for your pledges of support. These include access to Patreon-exclusive content such as deleted scenes and outtakes and fully-fledged bonus episodes, including our most recent Boss Battle special, which is a certified banger. <laughs> also for grabs are social media shout-outs, custom artwork, and even the chance to record an episode with us. So, if you want to join in with all of the fun we're having, then hop on over to Patreon and pledge away. So, this week we have our number 42s, our 42nd <sighs> favourite video games of all time. 42. But uh, before we do that, it is time to return to the quiz. Let's do it. The scores currently stand with Chris in the lead at 31 points and Minty with 26. So let's see if Minty can uh, claw one back. I never do. Let's just get it over <laughs> with. Warcraft Aww. can be best described as A... An MMO. That one. B, a real-time strategy game. A. C, a turn-based strategy game. A. D, an action RPG. I'm going to go with... What was was B? (laughs) A real-time strategy game. A. B. The correct answer is B. Warcraft is a real-time strategy game. World of Warcraft is an MMO. (laughs) He's done it. Oh, such a prick. I got so excited. As soon as I heard Warcraft, I was just like, well, here we go. And and then just shouted away. And I didn't even listen to the other options. You didn't. You didn't, did you, mate? You didn't. But uh, there we go. Oh, there we go. Undone by mm. false confidence there. Well, there we go. Minty has called one back. It is now 27 to Minty and 31 to Chris. Well done, Minty. Yeah. So what have we been playing this week? Animal Crossing. Naturally. How are you getting on with it? <laughs> What have I done this week? Everyone has jumped ahead of me by uh, a few days. And it's not that I'm not playing it. It's just I don't always play with like a purposeful thing in mind when I when I pick it up. Yeah. So what I have done this week, I've, I've been using my Amiibo card collection to, to kind of pull in some of the characters I, I'd actually like to live in my town. Oh, that's nice. And that's been quite nice because I've been basically taking it back to who I had in Wild World. So I, I've had Opal move in a couple of days ago, which was one of my, my favourite characters back uh, then. Yes. I've got one more day of, of schmoozing with truffles before before they move in as well. <laughs> and it's been quite nice. Just as like it's just an extra little thing to do. Like they come to the campsite, you you make them a piece of furniture for three days in a row, and then you can opt to have them move in after that. That's really nice. So it's it's a way to sort of you know, it's a bit of work to do, but it still lets you customise your whole place, which is very much like the theme of this game, I think, compared to the old ones. Yeah. To give you as much control as possible over the whole island. 
How about you, Minty? How are you getting on with it? I'm I'm in the same boat as Chris, but without the Amiibo cards. I'm not particularly playing with purpose at the moment, just because I don't quite know what purpose to play such a game with. Oh, with this being sort of my very first Animal Crossing, but yeah, it's nice. I've got a couple of villagers that I want to leave, but I don't really want to go around <laughs> hitting them with the net. We had a mouse called Moose ah. come to the campsite, and we both hated his face and his hair, so... <laughs> We did not extend an invitation. Is he the one that kept following you around, looking creepy? Yeah, yeah, he's the one with like the with with the, with the people's eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> so just I'm just waiting for turnips to be good. I, I lost about forty five thousand last week because turnip prices on my island were awful, and then they went up to one seventy. This was on Friday, and I was like, "Oh, maybe they'll go up again on Saturday." Did they heck? Went down to forty five, oh. and I ended up going to my sister in law's village after ten p.m. Who lives in America, just so I could get something back for him. I sold them for about fifty five each. That's bad. Oh yeah, A disappointing return. But you know, if you play the stalk market, you got to be prepared to reap what you. So? Report your sow. Oh, that's <laughs> that very is good. good. That's very good. That is good. Well done. Well done. I mean, my island's coming along nicely. Obviously, I have been doing nothing but playing it. So I've just recently got it up to the five star rating. So I got the golden watering can, which is allowing me to grow gold roses. And I've made a fun fair down on the beach, which is really nice. And I've built this whole landscaped feature to house the museum with some waterfalls and now I'm trying to get uh, some fossil collections to put outside as displays and it's just great I just I just love it so much I love it so much and it's still dominating <laughs> most of my of my playtime this week although I have played some other stuff my next door neighbor John has been very kind to lend me his Xbox one and I bought the Xbox Game Pass, which was like a pound for the first month, which is ridiculous. Very cheap. And it's enabled me to play a couple of games that I've been playing, first of which was Ori and the Will of the Wisps, the sequel to Ori and the Blind Forest, which was my first port of call. I I mean, at one point I was genuinely considering getting an Xbox One just so I could play that game. (laughs) But, you know, obviously I understand that's probably a bit, bit silly. So I was really, really glad to have the opportunity to play that. And it is just wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Although I must say I'm a little disappointed with its performance on the Xbox because the first game ran a lot smoother and a lot better on the Switch than this new one does on the Xbox One. I've heard there's a few niggles with performance. Um, I don't know why. I don't know if that's something that will be addressed over time. I mean, hopefully. But then, I mean, I'll have probably finished it by that point. It hasn't impacted my play massively. A A few freezes... A few times I got sort of stuck on the scenery, which is weird for a game that felt very, very rock solid. But like I said, it hasn't dampened my enjoyment of it, and that is brilliant. The other game that I got was the Rare Replay Collection, so I could finally play some N64 games. And I've been playing Banjo-Kazooie on my way to playing Banjo-Tooie eventually after that appeared on your list the other day, Minty. How are you getting on with it? I am getting on with it. Okay, it is a bit... (laughs) I really, really like the setup. I love a -a collect-a-thon. You know, it's it's really, really good fun. It's very similar to, obviously, stuff like Super Mario 64 and a game like Spyro, which I I played the remaster of not too long ago. It's got a fantastic sense of humour. Just the movement where you... Well, on this version, you hold down the left and right triggers and Kazooie comes out of your backpack and basically gives you a piggyback around so you can run up slopes (laughs) yeah and that 
has made me laugh without fail every time. It's a good noise as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's uncanny. That's, better. that's a better one. The, the movement is, is quite clunky, though, and that's kind of been getting on my nerves, especially swimming mechanics. I just can't control it, and it's really annoying because I've just jumped into a treasure chest into that level and oh it just yeah it started annoying me and i can't hit those bloody jumping clams i just can't seem to time mm. my movements probably just just a bit of practice and i'll, and I'll, I'll get the hang of it and then i'm, I'm looking forward to playing banjo tooie at some point yeah when you take a step back and you look at the grand scheme of things banjo kazooie is just a tutorial for banjo tooie in my opinion it's a good game but everything it did was done better and more of it in Tui. I'm really looking forward to playing it. How about you guys? You've been playing anything else this week? What, in an attempt to escape from our reality a bit? <laughs> and, and the fact that I haven't seen like a real person in the flesh outside of my family or the postman for over a month now. <laughs> uh, I've, I've played quite a bit of PlayStation VR. Oh, nice. Uh, as a way of transporting me to other worlds. I've played a few games. Some not so great and, and one very great. Uh, I've played quite a lot of a game called VR Carts which is essentially just like a Mario Kart clone that has real potential to be decent, but just never really gets there. <laughs> like, it, it looks really nice in VR, it looks really solid, but it just it doesn't have, like, the character of Mario Kart, it doesn't have the track variety. And crucially, it, it doesn't really have a decent handling model either, which is a real shame. Like, if another kart crashes into you, you, you basically just lose control of your cart completely it might lock your steering it might just send you off the side of the road and even worse than that you can drift but only when you have boost so you have to be boosting to drift around a corner and boost is like a consumable resource so you need to use it all the time to keep up with the ai anyway and that means that then sometimes there'll be corners that you cannot physically get around if you don't have the boost because they're too tight so it's it's just, it's not very well designed. Like, I'm, I'm right near the end of the game. There's one last trophy left for winning each cup and then winning each race within it. And because of the, the cheating AI, <laughs> like, it's always like the fourth race that I lose on. And, and I just think, right, that's done for today. I'm not going to play it again. I'm kind of committed now to finish it. But, you know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> then I've also been playing like a shooting gallery style game called Heavy Fire Red Shadow. That's the type of thing that when I first got the VR, I would have really enjoyed because it's like it's got a sense of presence. You're kind of in a place. You're sat atop a little hill shooting enemies coming towards you kind of thing. But it's really lost its luster now, like a few years in after I've seen what VR can actually do. Like it it just doesn't compare at all to something like super hot yeah. that makes guns fun and work in, in virtual reality so it's it's fine like it's, it's a solid 5 out of 10 it's, it's nothing special at all <laughs> and then finally I have finished with, with all trophies like the Platinum Trophy Res Infinite ah oh, well done and it is it's a 10 out of 10 game that I will talk about in the future it's very very special and it's it's been fantastic like it's something that I play a little bit here and there for the last few years and because I've had time now I thought I might as well just truck through the last few bits but yeah, very, very enjoyable. A great, great game. Even better in VR. Excellent, excellent. How about you, Minty? How are you getting on with the House of Da Vinci? I haven't played that much of it, to be honest. I'm still at work, so I don't have that much time to play much at the moment. And any time I do have is taken up by Animal Crossing. Rightly so. <laughs> I must give a little shout out to your incredibly talented wife, who has been recreating classic paintings in Animal Crossing. Oh, yes. She painted a, a, an amazing version of Starry Night with mm-hmm. Van Gogh, and she painted me a wonderful version of one of Turner's paintings of Margate Ooh. that I now have as my town flag. I want to see that. Yeah, yeah. It's lovely. I'll send it to you and I'll also post it on our Facebook group so people can see it because it's a fantastic effort. Yeah, she's also done Clint's The Kiss, 
which uh, was a fantastic recreation. Yeah, she's very talented, and I'm glad that she was able to bless you in that way. She did a Mondrian as well. Did she? She did, yes. I saw it <laughs> hanging in her house. Oh, lovely. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. That's really nice. Isn't it lovely? Like, the way that um, Animal Crossing gives it, like, a soft blur as well. Yeah. Actually works really well with that. Like, some pixel stuff gets a bit sort of chunky. Yeah. But I think, like you say, because it's got, like, that kind of abstract wash to it anyway. Yeah. That That's really, really pretty. That's great. Well, she's taking commissions, so get in touch. <laughs> Five Love Miles tickets. Just sending you the, what, the starry night she did as well. I think I saw that one last time I was over your way. Ridiculously, I downloaded that one as a QR code because Sammy loved it. And I thought, I'll make a starry night and put it outside her house. And then Catherine ended up making it herself, so I replaced it with a Catherine ah. Booth original. Hmm. It makes a difference, doesn't it, from doing it by hand. Like, the QR stuff is great for convenience, but I, I think it's you really feel like someone's actually considered what they're doing a bit more when you do it by hand. Exactly, it's got provenance. It does. That's, uh, that's, that's the value. It does. So, shall we move on to the rankings? Yes. Yeah. Before we make a probably an inevitable detour back to Animal Crossing one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Starting this week, we have Minty's game. Minty. Minty, can you please tell us about your 42nd favourite video game of all time, please? Tell us a story. Let's kick off this entry by pouring one out. <laughs> it was a terrible shame to see the studio that made this game and the others in its series close last year, most likely due to the fact that their last two games were remakes in this series and the one before that had Paper Mario shoehorned in, <laughs> ah. as I guess... Like some kind of palate cleanser after that appalling turd on the dining table that was Sticker Star. <laughs> In fact, the last game they released has the dubious honour of being the worst-selling Mario game since The Virtual Boy. Oh, really? Yeah, harsh. which is a real shame really since harsh. it was a, a remake of my 42nd video game. That studio was Alpha Dream, and the game is Mario & Luigi, Bowser's Inside Story. Fantastic. Ooh. The Mario & Luigi series is one of my favourites. I love the aesthetic, the music, the humour, the battle system, the way each game is a little more left field than the Paper Mario series. Like the first game pits you against evil beans, the second one has you thwarting an alien invasion with your younger selves, and then this one has you teaming up with Bowser. Such a thing has never been heard of for about 13 years before the game's release. As we all remember, of course, uh, Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Not all the Mario and Luigi games are on my list, but I think this is widely considered to be the best in the series, and with good reason. We start off the game by seeing that all the toads are now massive and fat. Happens. Not due to hedonistic excess, but due to a disease called the blobs, which everyone's <laughs> caught by eating a poison mushroom from a mysterious merchant. I believe that that is my excuse as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a terrible case of the blobs. <laughs> Ignore these empty cake boxes. Yes, everybody's caught the blobs by eating a poison mushroom from a mysterious merchant who turns out to be this series antagonist, Fawful. He also feeds Bowser a vacuum shroom, which sends him on a berserker-like inhalation spree, swallowing up Mario, Luigi, Princess Peach, and the little navvy creature of the series, Starlo. Oh. You play as both Bowser and the Mario Brothers. Bowser's on a journey to get his castle back, and Mario and Luigi are trying to get Peach's castle back. Because they were swallowed by Bowser, Mario and Luigi are now so small and they can help Bowser accomplish tasks like uh, jumping on his biceps to increase his punching power or doing some puzzles to fire up some neurons in his brain or, uh, you know, massaging his prostate, all sorts of anatomical <laughs> activities. 
<laughs> I think the best thing about these games is just how unpredictable they can be. Uh, with most Mario games, even the uh, the more traditional RPG entries, you can get a feel for when a chapter or a level is ending. The boss you're about to fight has been established a little earlier, and any new mechanics that have been hinted at with inaccessible areas in previous levels are now ones that you have. So you'd have like the super hammer in chapter six in Thousand Year Door, etc., etc. Then you'd think, oh, I can go back and use that to open up that passage in the sewers that I saw. Blah 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 blah. All bets are off in the Mario and Luigi series, though. We've established that the antagonist is this weird little mad scientist bean person. But let's also make the final boss uh, of the game a world-ending calamity that's born of a dark power that's been sealed away for eons and can only be released by the star power of the kidnapped Princess Peach. Yeah, that happened a little while back, deal with it. Also, the Dark Power swallows up Bowser too at the end of the game. Fuck it, triple boss bumper pack, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You happy with just running and jumping because the game focuses more on story and battling than platforming? Don't be. Luigi can jump on your head and turn you into a helicopter. (laughs) Remember when Mario could shoot fireballs in the early games? He can do that now too. Do you know what? Luigi can shoot electricity. (laughs) Mario's a plump fella, so of course he could ingest enormous quantities of water to spit out on fires and the like with a swing of his brother's hammer. You think you're going to fight one of Fawful's generals at the end of this section in a predictable boss format? No, 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 he's going to turn up in the middle of the chapter and turn a statue into the boss, and that's who you have to fight. But also, he's going to attach a propulsion system to your castle and crush you with it. Better run away, huh? No, 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 no. Have the plumbers smack your adrenal gland around a little so you grow to be about 50 metres tall and just fustigate the castle and everything in it. Who cares? This isn't real life. We can do anything. It's what theatre should be like instead of just one person show after one person show about somebody having loads of sex and being sad. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent theatrical satire. (laughs) It's a much more self-assured DS game than Partners in Time, the one that preceded it, which I think suffered from the all-too-common thinking that you really got to utilize the hardware to the max to justify existing. Partners in Time made combat a little too flabby, requiring you to control each of the four past and present Mario Brothers with each button, although it did only use the touchscreen once in the entire game to scrape some dirt off a map. But Bowser's inside story was a lot more economical with its button use and made use of the touchscreen to greater effect. Flick to punch, press down to breathe fire, tap to shoot germs or whatever, it's all you need. Of course, a final mention needs to go to the music. It's always so great in these games, and there's nothing like just having a wander around bumpsy plains, enjoying the gentle parping of the woodwind section, or the stirring combination of the organ and that thing you put on the end of a trumpet to make it go... (laughs) ...when you enter a giant boss battle. But the climactic battle's music, aptly named In the Final, is widely considered to be one of the greatest pieces of music in video game history. I might not go that far, but I can see where people are coming from when they say that it is so fantastic, because it is. It's a lovely piece of music. And above all else, the game itself is just real good fun. Dialogue is great, the variety in the different areas is always a treat, combat's good. It's just a really well put together game. I hope we see another entry in the series from whoever picks up the mantle, and I hope everyone at Alpha Dream has been able to move on to greener pastures. Aww. Aww. Very (laughs) nice indeed. Do you think if another team takes it on, it will have the same character? I don't know. Because, like, I've only played Superstar Saga on the the GBA. Yeah. But as you say, it was such a, like, a left-field take on Mario that I'd I'd worry that if someone else picks it up, they they might not have the right, I don't know, not be in the right headspace, I guess, to take it in in that kind of direction, especially because they went on to sell worse and worse over time. I think that was less about the quality of the games and Mm. people wanting them and more to do with the fact that uh, the Switch has 
sort of taken centre stage in Nintendo's universe now, and the last two games were remakes. And these games are not old. Mm. Bowser's Inside Story was only 10 years old when this one came out. It's still a DS game. It, it works on the 3DS. Did this game need to be made? No. I think that was the prevailing opinion. <laughs> it's a great series, though. I played Superstar Saga and Partners in Time on the Game Boy Advance, which mm. were both brilliant because broadly you can put the mario and luigi games and super mario rpg and paper mario games you can sort of put them in the the same umbrella so it'd be interesting to see where they uh take that branch next hmm moving on we have chris's game Hello. chris can you please tell us about your 42nd favorite video game remember the wii u yes oh, love it. it was like the wii but it was better Except it was worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you like good games, in which case it was better. Yeah. Unless you liked good third-party games, in which case it was way worse. <laughs> it was a weird time for Nintendo, I think. Basically, if, if you are now the type of person who owns a Switch and says, I love this console, just imagine having been able to play some of the best Nintendo efforts currently available on the hybrid, but years earlier. That was the Wii U. Like, all the weird creativity that Nintendo is famous for, but in a slightly different form factor that no one bought and that none of your friends had. (laughs) So, yes, you would be the butt of all jokes if you said that the Wii U was your main console, but you would be playing Mario Kart 8. You'd be playing Minty's pick from last week, Splatoon. You'd be playing a great 2D Mario, a great 3D Mario, Captain Toad. You'd be playing HD versions of Twilight Princess and Wind Waker. You'd be playing platinum games like Bayonetta 2 and The Wonderful 101. You'd be able to play Lego City Undercover, Nintendo Land, Hyrule Warriors, Pikmin 3. You could play Super Smash Bros, Xenoblade Chronicles X, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, the best Yoshi game since the SNES, Zombie U, and even Breath of the Wild. (laughs) Whilst your friends got to play Bang Bang Shoot the Man 4, 5, and 6. (laughs) And the uh, 22nd entry in the Cargo Broom in Realistic Way series. (laughs) The Wii U was so, so good and so unfairly maligned. Like, yes, the gamepad was kind of a, a shadow of what the Switch would eventually refine. Yes, it was pretty underpowered given how long it arrived after the launch of the the ps3 and the 360 yes the online infrastructure was shit but the games released over the short life cycle of the wii u were amazing it had like back-to-back bangers every nintendo release pretty much was great when ports these days from the wii u to the switch are announced a lot of people kind of sigh these days but I, i can tell you right now that if i'd made anything as good as any one of these games I would have been positively kicking down the doors at Nintendo HQ to get these onto a system <laughs> that had the audience the Switch now does. Yeah. Now, one game that made this jump, but in a, in a slightly different way, is my 42nd favourite game of all time. Its Switch sequel improved upon almost all aspects of the, the Wii U release. But even if the Switch edition was eligible for this list, because it came out after we started this podcast... I still think I would have chosen this game for this spot, this this original version, because it's Super Mario Maker for the bloody Nintendo Wii U. Yeah, oh, classic. So Mario Maker, I think most people are aware. We talked about it when it when the sequel came out uh, a few months, well, not a few months, about a year or so ago now. Mario Maker lets you make Mario levels. That's that's fine. That's that's the basic premise. But what I think is so important about Mario Maker is is what it really represents. Like to many people, Super Mario Brothers on the NES was. You know, it, it would represent gaming for people. Like your parents' generation and the generation before them, in some cases, know who Mario is. They know you like to play the Nintendo. It's like it's, it's something that everyone is aware of. And Super Mario Brothers would essentially cement and codify the scrolling platform genre. So other games did exist before it. Like there's examples of, of some home console games, some arcade games that explored that kind of idea earlier. But none had the refinement and the vision of Mario. 
So when you mention 2D platforming to anyone, they, they picture Mario, they picture jumping over a Goomba in, in level 1-1. It's just it's one of those things that is now burned into everyone's collective memories. 30 years on with Mario Maker, Nintendo took like what was you could call like the language of Mario uh, and took the sort of the grammar of his movement and the physics and the level design and basically said to us as players, it's, it's yours now, you've earned it. And that kind of like giving approach was something I don't think we'd really seen from Nintendo or any other developers before that. So that the first time like I placed a block in, in kind of the editor in Mario Maker on the gamepad and then switched modes to be able to run atop it freely up on the TV with a single button press, it was just one of the most monumental feelings I've experienced in my entire game playing existence because it felt like it was Nintendo relinquishing ownership of their flagship franchise in a way that I don't think anyone expected to see. It was a release that really came out of nowhere, it felt like at the time. In terms of it being a game, there wasn't much of a game here in terms of a single player campaign, which is something they would would fix up pretty brilliantly in, in Mario Maker 2 on the Switch. But there was this almost limitless toolkit available to you to to adapt the core rule sets of of Mario Brothers or Super Mario Brothers 3 or Super Mario World into your own creations. And I think the few weeks around the launch of Mario Maker was a time of unrivaled creativity and joy. Like I I spent so much time making stages, really trying to nail the rhythm of of a Nintendo designed level. And of course, I, I didn't succeed. I'm not a level designer. That's not my job. But it was a game that effortlessly had players thinking like designers and this again is something that only could have worked because of the framework of Mario Maker being built on top of 30 years of play like even a casual Mario fan could produce a stage that would consider risk versus reward it could have branching paths it could have hidden collectibles that were signposted using either like bits of level architecture or coins they could explore stage gimmicks and how to apply them in different permutations I would build levels around traveling on top of cannonballs I built levels that used coins to sort of guide the arc of a player's jump. I experimented with sort of the subtle physics differences that came with the change between the tile sets of the three games. But most importantly, others who were far less obsessed with the mechanics of Mario and games than I was would also do these things organically. And of course, many of the stages you'd play through online using the the endless 100 Mario mode are stinkers, like real, real shocking (laughs) rubbish. But anyone who gave the game a bit more time than kind of that my first level design would become a better designer and all of us who have played a few mario games have like an ingrained knowledge of mario and and of platformers generally and i think what mario maker let happen was for this knowledge to kind of shift from being something that was reactive as in you play a game and you see a level and you say okay i'm going to negotiate these hazards to something that was more premeditated so then it was you saying i'll place this hazard here because and you have kind of like the memory of what it does and why it would be there and what that's going to feed into and I think it's just an, an incredible creative thing, like a, a truly incredible thing. Like aside from all this, some of the things that Mario Maker did that are, are really, really special is it acknowledged in an offhand way, like the, the online ROM hacking community that had existed for years at that point with people kind of like tearing apart Super Mario World and making new versions. So all these people that were making like Kaizo style gauntlets yeah. were suddenly vindicated because that's what other people were doing online in, in like a sanctioned official release. I think also Super Mario Maker launched full streaming careers and it felt like this period of like the Wii U's life was one of the first times that Nintendo really got social media. So around this time, you had Mario Kart 8, which has like Luigi's iconic death stare. It did around as like a big meme. You had Animal Crossing New Leaf around that time that finally had a screenshot sharing function built into it. It just seemed like Nintendo finally understood that people liked to see and watch as well as play their games. 
and that was like a big step I think that has fed into obviously the switch now having a share button built into it and, and everything else like that nowadays I've, I've basically sold on almost every game I own for the Wii U that has since been ported to the switch so I've upgraded my collection over time and yet I have kept Mario Maker like even though its sequel improved on it in every conceivable way I feel that Super Mario Maker is such an important piece of Nintendo's history that it deserves to still have that place on the shelf. And it also came with a great little uh, blocky 2D Mario Amiibo. So that was worth Mm. it as well. Great game. And and from memory, I think we were sharing levels together. Minty, were you in the group that was on Facebook at the time? Yes, I was in the group, yeah. Yeah, so so this would have actually been the first time that I had any interaction with you, Minty, outside of obviously meeting you over the phone years on to do this podcast. yeah. There you go, not just a piece of Nintendo history, but our three cents history. Indeed. There we go. Indeed. Despite the fact that I don't have a Wii U anymore, I do still have my copy of Super Mario Maker. (laughs) (laughs) And I have the special edition with that blocky Mario Amiibo, but also my special edition is signed by Charles Martinet. Ooh. Is is it? The voice of Mario. It is indeed, yeah. Oh, that's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) I also have some thoughts about Super Mario Maker that I will share another time, but for now... (laughs) Would you like to hear about my 42nd favourite video game of all time? Go on then. I hope you're sitting down again after my shock announcement of a 16-bit game appearing on this list a couple weeks ago with Donkey Kong Country, (laughs) as my game this week is from the N64. Really? What? I know. Are you well? Are you a well boy? (laughs) (laughs) As with Donkey Kong Country, it's not the original version. It is a handheld port of it. Uh-huh. Although, unlike, oh, that count. <laughs> although unlike Donkey Kong Country this port is technically superior to the original it is oh. the absolute classic of the 64-bit era and a genuine milestone of 3D gaming it's also the third Mario game this episode it's Super Mario 64 there Bloody we go yeah. Brilliant. It's, a, it's a good good game <laughs> yeah. it's a good game it is indeed it is indeed and yes my entry is the DS port the aptly named Super Mario 64 DS. Oh, that's what they called it that. Right. <laughs> I'm with you. It's just strange that for a launch title, they'd obviously start with the 64th Mario game, but there we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Dreadful. Dreadful, man. So, let's go back in time to what I think may well be the most exciting E3 conference I've ever experienced. E3 2004 is when Nintendo unveiled the absolute powerhouse handheld console it had been developing. And I I mean, I couldn't believe how amazing the games all looked for it. I mean, you had a fully fledged Metroid Prime game, for Gooseberry's sake. It has a ton of incredibly fun looking touchscreen games like Fruit Ninja and Submarine. And they also showed off the port of Super Mario 64, which became, like I said, one of the console's launch titles. And one that, I mean, I couldn't wait to break in my new DS with once I managed to get hold of one. So going back a little further in time, to a similar experience I had with the launch of the Game Boy Advance. Now, Chris, you mentioned a few weeks back when you were talking about Parodius that there was a little niche video game shop in Margate that you got that from. Yes. And I believe I went to the same shop to buy my imported Japanese Game Boy Advance. There's a good chance, yeah. And when I bought that, I had the choice of two games. It was either Super Mario Advance or a... It was like a rally racing game. I can't remember which one it was. And I went for Super Mario Advance, which was the Mario All-Stars remake of the Western release of Super Mario Bros. 2. And whilst, I mean, it was a nice little game and it certainly looked a a fair bit better than, you know, Game Boy Color games. It it wasn't quite the the technical showcase for the hardware that the other Game Boy Advance games, you know, came to be. 
However, back to 2004, this was not the case with Super Mario 64 DS, as it was it was the perfect game to show off the capabilities of the new console. Not only did it look and move beautifully, it was also a good touchstone for people to relate to, as you know people knew the original game from their home consoles. It was also nice that you got a little demo cartridge for Metroid Prime Hunters included as well for a further tech demo, should you wish to exhibit one in your school library at lunchtimes to an audience of increasingly adoring fans from Year 7, naming no names. <laughs> so let's talk about the actual game. I obviously knew of the game because it was a huge release, but whilst other people were getting their 3D platform experience with Super Mario 64, I was stuck cutting my teeth on the museum section in Sonic Jam on the Saturn. So it was great to finally get an idea of of what this landmark of of 3D platforming was was meant to be like, even though I was bereft of an analogue stick. (laughs) I did try briefly to control the game using the virtual analogue stick touchscreen thumb pad input that they tried to make us use, but in the end I I found it was just much easier to use the D-pad, and uh, to be honest I never really felt held back by controlling the game that way. In fact, any tricky manoeuvres that you needed to execute would prove harder to do using the thumb strap on anyway. (laughs) I'm sure everyone listening to this knows what Super Mario 64 is all about, but if for some reason you don't know, then it's a 3D platforming game. It's the evolution of the 2D Mario game series, and there are a whole host of levels with different objectives set in a variety of different worlds that you need to complete, earning yourself power stars that you need to unlock your way to the final boss. There are power stars hidden in obvious places, such as defeating the boss of a level, or fulfilling an objective, but there are also so, so many hidden in more obscure places, requiring you to search high and low to complete the game. In fact, this game also included, I think, 30 additional power stars from the original, and there were even more little secrets to find, so... You might have to get like eight red coins in a particular world, or catch rabbits running around the castle. Talking several weeks back, when the original version of this game came up as Minty's 53rd favourite video game, we talked about which our favourite worlds were. I mentioned TikTok Clock being mine, but in truth, all of the worlds were so brilliantly designed and so well realised in their concepts that they all proved just a joy to play through, unless you're obviously coming up against that giant eel and your Minty. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible eel. Hate it. Hate it so much. Great game. Dreadfully eel. Mm. The other world that I really, really loved was the tiny huge island, which played host to a Gulliver's Travel style mini and enormous setup where you were either trampling all over miniature Goombas or being dwarfed by skyscraper-sized ones. That, that was really, really good fun. I enjoyed the novelty of that. Speaking of TikTok Clock, we, we mentioned back in that episode about how this world was originally a bit of a nightmare in the original game owing to its intricate design and easy-to-fall-off platforms, something that was thankfully addressed in the, in the DS version where they tweaked the design slightly to make it a bit more forgiving. But there were also a whole bunch of other little changes made in the game, most of which went over my head because I hadn't played the original. Aside from the game overall looking a lot nicer than the original with new character models and animations for the main characters and the enemies, there was also a fun new way of managing the power-ups in the game. Instead of finding different transubstantiating hats for Mario to wear in the original to give him abilities to breathe fire or turn invisible or turn into metal Mario. In the DS version, you had to find the hats belonging to Luigi, Mario and Yoshi to transform into them. And then each of the four characters had a unique special ability to fulfil the power-up requirements set out in the design in the original game. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's really nice. It added 
an extra level of complexity to the puzzle solving in the game and it was just really nice to be able to play as these other characters they all moved slightly differently Wario was a bit heavier Luigi could obviously jump a bit higher Yoshi did that little flappy leg fly defying gravity Michael Flatley thing <laughs> Yoshi and the river of flames <laughs> and, and the, the game is just so well made there's a reason why the 3D Mario games are the touchstone for 3D platforming I mean they're just so fun to play Nintendo are, are so good at presenting you with some movement mechanics running jumping crouching backflipping etc and then building worlds for you to just enjoy bouncing around you know we saw this in Super Mario Odyssey we've seen it in Super Mario Sunshine we saw it in Super Mario 3D World we saw it in Super Mario 3D Land and all of that started back in this game and it is exactly that it was an endless joy to play and I found myself completing all three save files on the cartridge 100% because it was just <laughs> so much fun I remember you doing that yeah like, like I, I remember you just like finishing a game being like well what does I start again <laughs> it was great it was always fun yeah it was never a chore trying to track down the power stars it was always yeah just really good fun to explore every nook and cranny in each of the worlds and it really felt like you were pushing the game to its limits you felt safe in the world that had been created you knew that you couldn't break the game you could try and jump and jump and jump get a little bit higher on a triple jump to jump onto that tree to get onto that bit and whatever and if you got onto the roof you'd find a a, a hidden bonus which in the original was was Yoshi but in this it's not because Yoshi is in the game (laughs) One of the other new things in the game was the inexplicable and needless inclusion of some Mario-themed mini-games to play. There's a lot of them. There were a staggering 36 different games. 36 mini-games. You don't need that many. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and I mean, they were pretty much all built around different touchscreen input methods and were, I mean, they were quite fun, some of them, and you unlocked them by finding rabbits hidden around the castle and there were high scores and stuff. So it was, they, they, were, they were all right. And yeah, I, did, I returned to, to, to play them. I mean, I can't remember most of them, to be fair. I mean, I know there was like a bob juggling game, I think, and maybe like a some sort of rudimentary whack-a-mole game, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But there was one game that I definitely remember, which was a... I mean, I think it can be best described as a find-the-face game. A screen of, of Mario characters' faces would appear, and then a specific face would be hidden amongst them. So it would be like, you need to spot the Luigi in amongst the Marios, for example. So you'd have to look, look for a slightly different shaped moustache, maybe. Oh. And, and, I mean, these were quite tricky, and sometimes they mixed it up a bit with some, like, roaming torchlight, only illuminating bits of the screen at, at, at a time, and there was a time limit, so you, you couldn't search forever. But it was it was with this mini game where my finally honed Where's Wally skills finally paid off once I reached the max score of nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine levels played in a row. Whoa! <laughs> Which <laughs> I confess I played in several instalments over a period of, of actual weeks, so I wouldn't lose the streak. I am very cool. <laughs> so there we go. A great example of 3D platforming, classic Mario game, my 42nd favourite video game of all time, Super Mario 64 DS. When you brought your DS in, yeah. I didn't even know the console existed. Really? Yeah, and at, at this stage, that would never happen. Like, I'm, I'm so... <laughs> connected to the world of games that I, I I rarely miss big announcements but 
at the time, I don't know, I, I was still playing games obsessively, but I had no handle on what the DS was. And, and you brought it in. Was it an American import you had? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, and, and seeing that, I was just like, what? What's, what's this? What, what were you playing? <laughs> and and as, as soon as I saw that you were playing Mario 64, I was like, well, I'm going to order that tonight. <laughs> and I'm sure I had no I'm sure I had no money. I'm sure I dipped into some sort of savings I wasn't supposed to use. But I, I got an import with, with Mario 64 as well. And my proudest achievement, or one of my proudest gaming achievements, is I did beat it with 150 stars using the stupid thumbstick. Oh, yeah. I, I never used the D-pad. I, I was convinced. It was like, this is a new console. This is what they're trying to sell me on. I'm just going to use it. <laughs> and got used to using it. Like that weird thing you had to tie around your thumb to kind of turn it into a weird analog nub. Yeah. It was horrible, but yeah, I, was I beat the entire game with it. I beat the entire game, start to I mean, finish. that is ridiculous. And it's great. Like <laughs> I said I said when Minty brought up Mario 64, it's a great game. Yeah, and it is. I loved it on the 64. I, I loved it on the DS. It's just, it's great. It's really, really good. Really good. So there we have it. Another three games. Not quite the eclectic trio we usually have, for we have had three <laughs> Mario games. But there you go. What do you expect? What do you expect from three Nintendo-loving men? <laughs> Adults. First of all, we had... Mario and Luigi, Bowser's Inside Story. And then we had... Super Mario Maker. Before, finally, Super Mario 64 DS. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do get in touch with us. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Our Three Cents. You can chat to us there about these games. You can ask us questions you might like us to answer on future episodes. Or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. Please share the podcast on social media. Tell your friends. Tell anyone you think might be interested. If you're really into the podcast, check out our YouTube channel. If you search for Our Three Cents Podcast, you'll find a whole suite of videos that Chris has been putting up, chronicling, among other things, some of the most niche Tetris spin-off games you'll ever see. Fantastic little series. <laughs> I, I do, do encourage you to check it out. And if you're really, really, really enjoying the podcast, do check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash our three cents. Pledge some support to us and, and we'll be very happy to reciprocate that support with some wonderful perks. And please do join us next week for our 41st favourite video games of all time. 41. Good number. Yeah, boy. In this quarter, on the Greenlit Podcast Network, Chris Sims and Matt Wilson. And in this quarter, VHS oddities, confusing animation, and modern not-so-classics. Plus snacks, movie fighters. We watch movies and beat them up. Video Death Loop is a podcast where we watch a short video clip on loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. You can jump in on any episode, no need to worry about continuity. Check out Video Death Loop on the Greenlit Podcast Network with new episodes every Friday.